Uh, so this week, Ed, you're asking, how do you get started with open source? Is that right? Yeah, it's something I've always been interested in and haven't really known how to get started. So I, I figured, why not ask you? Before we get too far into it, we should address two questions. One being, what is open source? And two being, why are you interested? Well, you can do the you do the open source bit and I'll do the uh, why I'm interested. <laughs> Oh, fair enough. Well, uh, I don't know. It's one of those things that you just deal with so often that you don't necessarily have a definition at your fingers. Um, but it's it's basically what it says. It's the code, the source code for software is open. Anyone can look at it. It's not got any well, debatable on different lines as to whether it's encumbered by patents or not, or patents. It's not something... Yeah, basically the gist is there is code there that you can use and you can reuse it yourself. Um but on on that there are lots of there are lots of levels there are lots of different license styles and there's lots of different ways of using that code and yeah and another thing is that you can also contribute to it yourself so you can help the people that are make if you found something really useful that's an open source software you can get involved and help give back and help out yeah that's a really important aspect to it as well um that is often overlooked that it's an evolving process that open source software is built by there's generally sort of one one or a team of people in charge, but it's open for anybody to contribute, generally speaking. So if you've got a good idea and you see a problem, get in there, sort it out. If you find a bug and you know the you think you you can fix it, get in there, fix it, and contribute. Make a pull request. Yeah, so that's what it is. My motivation for wanting to get involved is kind of, I just think it's going to be a good opportunity to maybe bulk out my experience of working with it's kind of like a free way to work with more experienced people uh you can get some cheeky mentoring in there hopefully <laughs> but i've i've never found anything where i felt that it's at my level or where i can just dive in and actually get started mm. there's always kind of been a wall there in between me and i look at these projects and then i just think oh my goodness there's so much there what can i do being a beginner that's actually going to be useful to all these more experienced developers so you're sort of you're almost paralysed by not. I don't know what what would it be? Is it do you not understand what you're looking at when you look at a piece of code, or are you just overwhelmed by the fact that the size of it? Or I can I can read it, but the problem is I, I will say look through the issues, and then they will the issues themselves will look too complicated, and I won't understand mm-hmm. kind of what's going on, and I'll feel like I need to have a bigger grasp of the entire code base before I can actually start contributing to something. But then I think, oh, I've not got time to do this. I, I should be doing other things instead, like learning and building my own things. So I kind of get caught in a little loop. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, before I get before I people start to think I'm being too accusatory and like, why do you think this and can you not do it? I will confess that I've experienced all the things you've just described. <laughs> I've, <laughs> um, even something as simple as contributing an answer to Stack Overflow can be overwhelming sometimes. You get there when you're, when you're new, you've got a bit of knowledge, you think, oh, yeah, I want to pay some of this forward, I've learned some stuff. Suddenly, boom, there's like a whole load of questions. You think, oh, I could answer that. Within 13 seconds, someone else has dropped something in. And that expands into a, a sort of GitHub environment. Sometimes the, you, you'll see an issue that you think, oh, I could get that, and then someone else has jumped on it already. Um, so. Yeah, I think that's partly my problem is that I think, well, I could start working on this, but but I'm probably going to spend a few hours trying to work out what's going on. And then someone more experienced is going to jump in and just do it like that in a, in a heartbeat. So I think that's, I'm worried that if I just start doing something or working on a problem, it'll take me ages. And then by the time I've actually finished it, someone else will come along and finished it themselves. 
Or, and then my other worry is that if no one's going to do that, then I've got a lot of worries about this, then I'm just not going to be able to figure it out and I'm going to spend ages trying to work it out and not be able to get to the get an answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand that completely. Um, one thing I would say, I don't, I don't know if you've tried this or not already, is to open the lines of communication really early. So if you see on Git that there's an issue that you think you might be able to might be able to do something with, you put your hand up and make a put a comment on there and say, "Oh, I'd like to have a stab at this, please." Um, have you tried that? No, I've 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 never done anything. <laughs> I have maybe <laughs> I've no, I've never done anything on a real code base in on GitHub or open source. I have edited some what are they call transcript files for a podcast I listen to. Uh, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, so, but that's but that was in, in GitHub. So that was making a pull request and submitting yeah. changes to someone so, else's. So I listened project. to the Change Log, which is a podcast about open source. Mm-hmm. And during Hacktoberfest is in October. There's a big push for people to get involved in open source. And if you do five pull requests, you get yourself a T-shirt, no matter what they are. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did a few other. There's kind of a few the way you can just say. Like, maybe work on like tiny python like script so i did a couple of those but then the majority of the five were uh helping change the unintelligible bits in the changelog transcriptions for their episodes i think that's great i that's i mean that's one of the, a parallel to that would be documentation i mean often you see documentation that is either terribly worded or some someone's written it and it's english isn't their first language perhaps and you yeah, you can add value straight away, even if your coding knowledge is is weak by or less than those others that are contributing. You can still provide something of value by getting stuck in and and helping out with those bits around the edges that often get overlooked. And I mean, documentation—that's often a developer's first experience of a piece of software. And if that's if you like really good documentation is a thing to behold, it's like yeah, worthy of much praise, and it should not be belittled as a whole way to get started. All right, so um, I think maybe we should roll back a bit here. Uh-huh. So we've kind of we've said what open source is. We've kind of agreed uh, for a couple of reasons for why to do it. But let's just maybe focus on why should you, why should you sitting there at home learning to code get involved in open source? Well, I, I've got a few lists here. I've read an article, <laughs> so I'm now the font of all knowledge to do with open source um, by Andrew Goldis. Uh, it's called Learn by Contributing up on uh, it's dev.2. Um, if you haven't come across dev.2, it's a bit like Medium, but for just for developers and there's no pop-ups. So you might enjoy that, Tom, if you've not come across it before. <laughs> I have. I think I've posted some... I posted an article there once, I think, and got much better feedback than... When putting stuff on Medium, I think instantly you get it's more about the conversation than as as much as it is the article itself. I don't think I've ever seen anything on Dev2 that hasn't had a lively comment thread underneath. And a civil one as well. <laughs> Pleasant people <laughs> discussing them. Yeah, they're a nice group of people. Yeah. Um, so I found this article on there, Learn by Contributing. Um, the subtitle is Contributing to Open Source Projects Helps You to Improve Your Professional Skills and Discover New Opportunities. And then it goes through kind of listening why you should do it and kind of how to get involved. So I thought we could maybe I'm going to use this to help me, seeing as I have no experience um, <laughs> when we're talking about this today. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, talk, talk me through it. Tell me, what, tell me the reasons that were in that then and what you think about them. So um, a few of them were 
that it is good for your CV. So it's something to put on. So for example, me, I don't have much on my CV other than the private projects that I've worked on. But if I could say, oh, I've pushed a pull request to so-and-so company or so-and-so project on GitHub, then I've got something immediately to talk about in an interview um, and to liven up my resume and my GitHub as well. Yeah, I have first-hand experience of that being useful. I've, in interviews, had to sit through, sort of walk people through open-source work that I've done. Um, because often you can be, even if you're not starting out, like if you're moving from one job to another, you could, have been spent, you could have spent the last two years working on something that's completely proprietary and no one is allowed to even see the code outside of the company that you've been working with. You might have non-disclosure agreements. You might have any number of reasons you can't show the thing that you've been working on. Um, so you need some kind of evidence. We well, need, but it's useful to have some kind of evidence of what you've been working on, um, and that, and or what your skills are, what your interests are. And often, an open source thing is better for the CV because it's you can steer it to the field that you are interested in much more easily than you can work that you're given by an employer as well. And then some of the, I think I'm going to put a couple of them into one is uh-huh. that you can kind of get to know how to work with other people on a project that's larger than I imagine what you would do personally, a bit like what we're doing with the weather app. Um, but on a, I guess a larger scale when it comes to open source, because you've got the rest of the internet that you'd be working with. And then along with this is when you make a pull request or something, I guess you get the maintainers of that project will probably give you some feedback if it's not quite what they wanted or anything like that. So in a way you're kind of getting a bit of free education, a bit of free mentoring from people helping you out as you're, as you're helping them out. Yeah, I think it's probably worth saying as well that you're using the word free pretty loosely because your time has value and your skill has value and you're giving you are giving something in exchange for this mentoring. You're not just getting something for nothing from these people. You're doing work and they are steering that work. Um but yeah, it's yeah, it's fabulous. Yeah, monetarily free, I guess I should have said. <laughs> you don't have to pay for it with money. <laughs> um and then you're also if you want to feel nice about helping other people out, it is useful for other people who don't have time to work on it whereas there's a beginner coming in that is it's going to be mutually beneficial for both yourself and the project that you are helping, hopefully. It's also an opportunity to learn some new tech, I guess. If you're interested in maybe I wanted to go back to the my JavaScript ways, um I could pick a project that is mainly built in JavaScript and then I could learn through trying to understand what was happening there. And I guess a good first step is if we're moving on to maybe how do we get started in doing this? Do you think a good first step is just being able to read through some projects on GitHub? Yeah, I think that's a useful skill to have to be able to pass code and get the sense of what's happening where. And that's often the hardest part of getting stuck into a new code base. I find that when dealing with legacy code in work environments as well. Um, You pick up an old project that someone's been working on, half the battle is just working out what what on earth has been going on there. But yeah, uh, to just zoom back a little bit to Mm -hmm. about this being an opportunity to learn something new, um, it comes back to the old adage of just do it. Just get, like, if you want to get good at something, you have to have done it and you have to be able to show, show people that you've done it and by do it, you you only learn like fully by actually doing something, and this is a fantastic way to get stuck in in an environment where because your code is being reviewed by others and it has to be approved to be merged in, so you're contributing to something that's out in the open, everyone can see it. There's an extra level of not pressure but um, expectation on that you put on yourself when you're writing that code because you, I mean, if I'm my personal projects, I mean, you can 
look under the hood of there and there's some horrors i'll tell you <laughs> things you think oh well i don't really care about this so i'll just mash it through really quickly um and you're sometimes more focused on just getting something to work ish than getting it to work perfectly and getting it to be well coded as well at the same time whereas with open source there's generally a higher standard expected because you're adding to someone else's code base and they those people the maintainers by their very nature have to maintain that code base over time so they're they're naturally resistant to stuff being merged in that isn't up to the standard that they're used to. Yeah. So you have to like raise your game a bit. And we're kind of throwing a lot of terms around here, like uh, maintainer, merging. We talk about Git a lot. I guess there's a whole kind of a, a, maybe a different sort of vocabulary around working in open source. So like a few wor- a few things I thought are maybe forking. When I, when I first started out, I didn't have a clue what that meant. I mean... The only fork I knew was the one I used to eat my dinner with. So, <laughs> um, what what is what is forking? Or are, do you think are there some other words that you think are particularly loose, useful to learn for when you're doing open source? Yeah, I suppose yeah. As a, a very quick primer, primer, whatever you want to call it, um, on sort of open source. Yeah. So basically, there are repositories of code, um, commonly known as repos. They live in the cloud on on other people's computers in the <laughs> cloud. Um, and you can then pull those that code onto your machine. So you pull it down and then it runs, you have a copy of it. And then you can make some changes and then you can push your changes to the master one. Um, but often that's not really how it works in the real world quite so much because there's like this concept of a pull request. Um, so often you'll make a fork of a repository. So you're making a copy of the repository in the cloud, but that belongs to you, that you can then make changes. You pull and push to that fork, which is just a clone version of the repository at a certain amount, certain point in time. And then when you're ready, when your changes are done and you want your changes to be submitted into the master code base, you make a pull request from your fork into the master repo. <laughs> what? What are you laughing at? <laughs> Just, it's, I'm confused. Really? <laughs> no, I'm not actually because I know what's happened before. But I, I imagine if I was saying it for the first time, I'd be confused. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, how would you describe it then? Um, okay. So there is a project that you want to work on. Uh huh. You clone it to your computer, which means you download it to your computer so you can work on it. I don't, see, this is why I get confused about forking. So what's the difference between me cloning something and me making a fork of it? Okay. So cloning is just you're pulling the code that's there onto your machine and you have a direct copy of that down on yours. And then if you wanted to push then to the remote, which is the um, original. master original, then you're pushing straight to it. So you can't really do that if you don't own that original. Um, so cloning is the act of getting it from the cloud into your machine. Would I fork it first? Yes. So in an ideal world, you would fork, which is sort of make... So in, you go to github.com and find an awesome project that you want to work on and then you fork it which is okay. making a version under your name i've got it i've Go got on. it so Go there is a project that i want to help out with on github i make a fork of that onto so it's now on my own github it's uh-huh. just that code has just so been you, copied across yep. i then on my machine i pull from my my one that i've copied across my fork um, and then i make any changes i want to i then push that back up to github so it's now on my fork on github Mm -hmm. and then i make a pull request from my fork to the original uh project yes yes 
Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes that kind of happens in a mini scenario. If you're working at a company on a project, you're not going to make a fork of it every time. You'll have one master repo. And rather than forking, you have the concept of branches, um, which are different. It's like mini forks, but they live still within the main repository. Um, and it's cut, but essentially it's the same. The important things to know are that you have a version of the code that's different and you make a pull request to the master branch or the master repo. And that whoever's maintaining that has to then approve that request. Yeah. And that's where you might have merge, have to merge things if your code is different or someone else has worked on it at the same time as you and they've mm-hmm. pushed it up and that you have conflicts with stuff that you've done together. Yeah. Then, so you're, guess- you're doing a piece of work. It takes you an hour to make that work, to make, to do that work and make that change. And then you're ready to push, push it into the make a pull request. But in that hour, someone has come in and done three little 10 minute jobs each of those have been pulled so the master repo now is different to yours so you need to merge that work back into your yeah and if you haven't understood what we're talking about at all i imagine i i suggest there are probably <laughs> some better places than talking about it in an audio format to uh, find out how git actually works <laughs> it's quite a sprawling topic <laughs> so if you're still confused which you probably are more confused now than you were um <laughs> We'll put a couple of links maybe for a couple of places where you can find out a bit more about Git in the show notes. Yeah, and don't ask us about Subversion. i never heard of that before. So. Yeah, so we'll turn it to Git. Git's not the only one. It's, Git is just the, the new hotness, relatively speaking. Um, is it new? It feels uh, like it's been around a long time. I think it's been around. It feels like it's been around forever, and it's definitely the one that's used almost everywhere. Yeah, but it's not always been the way. And there's also, it's not primarily, it's not always just GitHub as well. I think there's a Git Bucket is another similar. Uh, Bitbucket. And Bit there's bucket, um, Git, GitLab as well. Uh, What's Git Locker? Uh, it's probably, I wouldn't be surprised I, if it was actually a thing also. Um, <laughs> but the, the basic um, technology is called Git. The version control system is called Git. GitHub is then a proprietary, now Microsoft-owned, website that allows you to interact with git and there are lots of other websites that do the same thing yeah basically host hosting your repos in the cloud i think the idea is if you're interested in getting to open source you need to be familiar with these sorts of technologies and how to use them you don't want to be learning how to you don't want to be learning how to help someone's code and also learning how to use git at the same time i guess you're going to feel more comfortable if you've had a bit of experience yeah, I mean, and if you try and like try and write code and you're using something like track changes or something, if you're used to document editing, then, uh, oh, God help you. That's a horrible world. Don't do that. So, great. We've defined some vocabulary. We know that we want to do it. So I know all about Git. I'm fully, I know everything there is to know about how Git works. Um, and I'm fully convinced I want to get into open source. What is my next step? Oh, no, you tell me. No. <laughs> I'm going to leave that silent. No, 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 no. Uh, the next step is to get in, is to actually start looking at some po- uh, projects that you're interested in, in languages that you are at least familiar with a little, and then um, look for issues. So issues, are, I mean, that's, it's a concept that is slightly different across platforms. GitHub, which is the master, the kind of the, the biggest of the places where open source work happens and collaboration happens, has this concept of issues. And so it's basically like a bug report or a feature request. It's just a little marker that says, we need this thing to be done. And it's a way of saying, it's not done yet. They're just a whole list of all the things that they want to do, almost like a roadmap for the project. Um, And in GitHub, you can find that under the issues tab for a project. And there'll be a whole list of things that the maintainers of that project have 
on the list of things to do. It's basically a long to-do list. Hmm. But I've I've submitted an issue to a project before because there was an issue with it and <laughs> I, I wanted them to be able to fix it. So I guess it's used in multiple ways. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, bug re- bug, yeah sort of as a bug request slash support forum is kind of, kind of different people treat it differently. Um, but yeah, often you find you find a problem with some code, you you open an issue. That's that's a sort of a standard workflow. So I guess a nice starting point if if you can find a project, and we'll talk more about finding how you would find a project later on. But is you may want to like lurk around a bit to see how things work. Maybe just see some of the conversations that are going on around, or how the issues work, how the conversations are going on around those issues or those pull requests. That's a very good point because there's there's a lot of um, there's etiquette around it, and that's not necessarily the same between each project. Um, so there are people like to have pull requests made in certain ways and they like issues to be adopted in certain ways. Um, and people to some some people were like happy to accept anything. Some people want you to have put your hand up and said, I am going to work on this now and then request feedback later. Um, yeah, there's lots of different ways of doing it. So you'd say maybe trying to fix an issue is a, a good place to start other than instead of maybe going and jumping in and doing a, a, a new feature pull request. <laughs> yes, it's a good way to get familiar with the code base and familiar with the um, yeah, like the workflow around it, like how, what, the de- what the deployment pipeline is when you're done. Like how do, you, how do you get something from, oh, this is the thing I'm working on, to this is a solid part of the code base that's going to be there forever. The danger with that is often with mature, particularly mature projects. So if you now go and look at, I don't know, React or something, probably the issues that are there are going to be fairly challenging. Like the bugs are going to be pretty tough because you know, there's that, like you reach a certain scale and there are that many people looking at it that uh, all the bugs get fixed, all the easy ones get fixed, jumped on pretty easy, pretty quickly. So you're going to have to have to hunt around for one that you think is suitable if you're just getting started and you're not familiar okay. with the project. So let's talk about how how to hunt for uh, GitHub projects. Um, I've come uh, I've come across a few things, and in this in the article by Andrew Goldis that I mentioned earlier, there is at the bottom he's got a few links. Um, to places they're kind of aggregators for github problems because a lot of the good the good thing about issues i've seen is that they you can put little tags on them so yep. some of them might say put a tag saying help wanted so then you can feel confident that you can go in there and actually get help them <laughs> because they've they've kind of explicitly asked for it and there's a few of them that say maybe good first issue things like that so on github itself you can search for issues saying maybe good first issue um, or you could put a few tags in there, help wanted, good first issue, so you know that you're in kind of a, a more supportive place to get started. Um, so that's one way of yeah. finding places to work. Yeah, that's a subtle subtle nuance there, is that sometimes people, because you can use issues as a way of, sort of tracking your features and your progress and as a to-do list, sometimes people put a whole load of issues up, but they don't necessarily want anyone else to help out. There's just things that they're working on themselves. Um, so yeah, the help wanted tag is very useful. Um, a good first issue is just that, I mean, if you Google that, there's, there are a lot, there are a few pages out there that just collate all the good first issues together. Um, so if you pick a language and pick, look for good first issue or good first PR or something, there's a, a strong chance you might find something that is useful to you hmm. as if, as someone who wants to contribute. And have you ever thought about maybe contributing to something that you use on a maybe daily, but or not maybe not a daily basis, but something that you use regularly? You th- have you ever got to a point where you think, oh, you know what, I know of a way that I can improve this? Because I've heard a lot of, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and mm. I hear about a lot of people saying the way they got into open source was they were using it something every day, and they thought, you know, what, I'm going to make a fork of this, I'm going to improve it somehow, and then 
see if that's something they're interested in. Yeah, um, yeah, but I would say on a small, not so much on the like contributing a grand new feature, but on the like, oh, I'm doing this and there is a problem. I'll look at this little thing that's annoying me on this thing that is otherwise really useful. Um, uh, oh, there's a spelling mistake here, or there's something you could start. You like rather than just send off an email going, "Oh, your thing's broken." Help! <laughs> Actually, get stuck in and fix it. That's the beauty of open source: yeah. is that you can you can get in and if you know what the problem is, provide a solution. Yeah, and I get you keep talking about typos and things, but yeah, I think that is a good place to get started, isn't it? With documentation, if you're someone who mm-hmm. is good at writing things or explaining things clearly, then I'm sure there are a lot of people that um, would appreciate that. I think a lot of projects don't even seem to have much documentation <laughs> it seems like something that developers aren't particularly keen on I, I that's what i get from the outside as i am at the moment um is that something that you could attest to yes yeah documentation is is a bore for some people um it's really important and it's really like the key to a successful project is really good documentation you could have the best piece of software in the world but if it's not well documented it's not going to be used um, because no one's going to be able to like you're going to have to be very very desperate to like trawl through lines of code trying to work out how something works when you know, another project even if it might not be quite as technically as technically fantastic has really good documentation makes your experience really easy but i would spe- stress as well that typos and little things like that are not limited just to documentation and transcripts and stuff like there's a lot of problems with code that are genuine bugs that make the code not work that are caused by maybe not a, a closing tag being missed off or you know that someone's missed off a semicolon in the wrong place or of there's the wrong capitalization on a variable name or an object property you know, if it might be camel cased where everywhere else it's snake cased or something and that is causing a very a bug that you probably would maybe scan through the code and not necessarily notice um hmm. and yeah particularly that's where contributing where the beauty of open source really comes alive is the fact that there are all you, everyone who's written code has to deal with edge cases like there's little things that don't happen very often and because they don't happen very often they they maybe get overlooked or no one ever there's a bug but no one ever finds the bug because no one's ever used it in the way that generates that bug um and then but just by the nature of it being used by lots of people everyone has access to it everyone is using it you get a whole diverse array of opinions a whole diverse array of use cases and all these little things get found eventually. Hmm. Now, this is probably a good point to raise the, the concept of the cathedral and the bazaar. Have you come across that? Uh, no, I haven't. No, so well, that was it's a, a fairly influ- well, fairly influential book from oh, was it 1999, I think, um, by a fellow called Eric Raymond. And the book is called The Cathedral and the Bazaar. I think it was originally an article, which is then expanded into a book. I've got the book on my book on my shelf somewhere i won't do the foley work of waving it in front of the thing. <laughs> it's a book it's got, it doesn't sound like anything um but there's some paper for you excellent excellent that's just as good yeah it doesn't, it doesn't matter that it wasn't the real thing um but that's built around the idea of there are two different ways of building software there's the cathedral way which is where someone has a master plan and then the plans are laid down and then people spend a very long time building this massive great big construction um, according to the plan and then there's a bazaar, like a kind of market, like Eastern marketplace or something or whatever. B-A-Z-A-A-R. Um, yes, that evolves organically. It's just some people got together, they needed to trade some stuff, so they put up a put up a tent, made, did some things. And then over time, that has grown. People have come along, they've added, added extra bits, and someone's thought, oh, well, actually, we should put some walls and some roofs around this thing. And actually, oh, well, we need a place for all the donkeys to park, and then we need all this kind of stuff. So it grows organically in a human way, 
by people coming together and like adding little bits of functionality. Um, and I think it's probably I don't know. Yeah, I, I I'm never sure how accurate it is because it kind of implies that there's a beauty and a maj- majesty to a big sort of closed source thing edifice that someone has built, and then anything open source is ragtag mash of. It's probably not going to be very pretty, but it's going to be functional and it's going to get things done. And I guess a lot of things are going to be kind of a mixture of that, aren't they? There's going to be yeah. people who have going to build the core of the project and then they're going to go out and get open source. But I would say kind of in a way it's kind of open source is helping things be more secure and more and tougher than maybe that would seem for a bazaar. I think yeah, like, I think you've got- uh, to read, I would recommend reading the article or the, the little yeah, piece probably a good idea. <laughs> to read it in a couple of hours. Um, like that's the the premise that he starts from is the cathedral and the bazaar, and then it's basically saying that well, with enough eyes, every bug is shallow. <laughs> so you get enough people to look at something, they're going to find the problems, and that means that open source software ends up being it ends up functioning. It's much more functional than closed source software. Uh, it's got fewer bugs, it works better, and it's probably more secure because it's working according to best practices, and the code is open. So if there's any like back doors or anything or any holes, someone's going to see it. There's a way that those things get caught. Okay, interesting perspective. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, I'll have a read of that. Yeah, I recommend it. And we'll also put it in the show notes for you, of course. Um, so some places to look if we're moving on now. Or did you you've got some other things bullet pointed at the bottom? I don't know if you wanted to bring those up or. Oh no, that was mainly. Um, I think the the comparison of some open source software versus some closed source software is. I don't know if that's a tangent we need to go down. Um, there's a fellow called Richard Stallman who was massively influential in like getting free software, like making the free software movement a thing and coming up with the, the GNU manifesto. GNU. Um, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say it like that. I think that's how you meant to say it, isn't it? Is it? GNU? I think, I think so. Oh, I don't think I'm yeah. You carry on speaking, I'll Google it. Yeah, I'd be interested to see that. <laughs> Basically, it was only, I only put it in the show notes because there is a history of people who have been quite ethically motivated by open source and that it has a, a history of subversion, but also it's quite sort of hippy-dippy as well, to an extent. How did you pronounce How did you pronounce it? I just said GNU. Yeah. Um, so Richard Stallman himself. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's a hard G, like GRU, but with a letter N. GNU. GNU. Oh, okay. Yeah. And do you know what it stands for? Uh, GNU's not... Or GNU's, GNU's not not Unix. <laughs> yeah, so it's a nice recursive right? acronym. Yeah, because yeah. then it will go down. Yeah, yeah. developers. Uh, the things that yeah. are funny. Developers, 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 developers. <laughs> so a few more places that you can look. One of them that was mentioned in this article that I was reading was something called a GitHub repo called Awesome for Beginners. So another thing that repos on GitHub seem to be used a lot for is maybe just documentation or just maybe, I think I heard an article, uh, I heard a podcast about someone talking about how they're writing their book on on GitHub so that people can make pull requests when they find typos and things. So that's Oh, loads, constantly... loads of people have done that. Yeah, uh, Carl Simpson did that, Brad Frost did that. They did write it out in the open and let it... Yeah, so it's not it's not just code on there. Um, so this one is called Awesome for Beginners, and it's kind of... It, there's a list and there's different languages there, and I haven't looked at it in much detail, but I'll be, I'll be making sure to look at it later. And then another one that I have known about for quite a while and emails me every week, um, <laughs> and I haven't turned <laughs> I it off I because I'm thinking... I'm thinking one day, and that is code triage. Um, so if you go I have to done exactly the same, <laughs> <laughs> go 
codetriage.com you can then sign up and it's it kind of gives you a list you can filter by language and it gives you a list of different uh, repos that need help so the very top one has 3865 issues and that's the nix packages um i don't know i'm not particular. i don't know what that is but it is looking like it's in trouble <laughs> um so and that's red and then it goes all the way down and it gets orange the lower you can get but you can sign up and then it'll just you can set it so i think it sends you a random repo to your inbox every day so it's kind of in front of your mind or you might suddenly see something that pops up and you can think yeah i can help with that and the way i do it is uh so using code triage the same same service is select i have a i have a kind of curated list of, of repositories that i'm interested in projects that i would like to contribute to so i get a periodic email of like the issues that are open on those projects um, mm. and it yeah. also kind of it kind of uh i don't know peer shames you or guilt guilts you into action because it says oh it's been <laughs> however many days since you last contributed to yes anything. yeah and it is quite, yeah, like you say, it's quite customizable to the exact things that you're looking for. So that's a re- an, another useful thing to, um, uh, another useful way of getting involved. We now all want to contribute to op- open source. I'm sure you're itching for the podcast to finish so that you can run off and get onto Code Triage and sign up and <laughs> find some uh, issues that you can contribute to. Um, so we've... Yeah, I think that might be a good place to wrap up proceedings for today. Unless you've got anything else that you want to add on that we may, I may not know about or have not mentioned. Um, I think it's worth stressing that you've got some bullets here called "How can I be successful?" question mark um, and talking about it could be scary, which we have talked about a little bit. But I think it's worth stressing that. I mean, this is something that it took me a long time to realize, and which we've kind of covered on the podcast in the past as well, is that you can. It's so much easier if you just get in touch. Uh, like the earlier you make contact with people, the better and the easier things are. Um, so if you're working on something, don't work in isolation on a pull request and not tell anybody. Actually say, oh, I'm working on this and this is my idea and I'm going to try approach it in this way. What do you think? And they'll say, oh, yeah, that's great. Or, oh, no, maybe not. We should approach this in a different way. And you have a discussion. Um, but either way, you're getting involved. And that in itself is contributing to the project. And then it means that by the time you, you don't ever get to the point where you're going to make a pull request, make that PR, push the button, and you're terrified of whether or not it's going to get accepted or it's going to get torn to shreds because people have looked at it already and people have an idea of what they're expecting a pull request from you. They're expecting it to be done in a certain way. Um, it, it just takes the edge off the... I don't know the kind of not sh- I don't know digital shyness. I guess it's not it's not it's not like a first big step. It's lots of little steps then in a way, yeah, isn't it? Breaking absolutely. It up. Yeah. And the, I think a lot of the time when I see on and I've heard people talk about this before is that maintainers often quite seem quite short and won't say, "Oh well, thank you so much for coming to our repo <laughs> and helping yes. out." They'll just give you saying, "You need to improve this, this, and this to get it accepted." But I think that's more a case of them not having much time because they've i guess in a lot of the case because it's open source people aren't getting paid for it so they're doing it in their spare time so they probably got maybe 10 20 issues to deal with um in their evening they might be at home Mm. trying to get through them as quickly as possible so they'll just get to the bare bones i don't think i think it's good to be aware that that is not something that they're not being rude i think a lot of most maintainers are probably good people because they're helping out these things so if they're being a bit short it's probably because they've not got time and they have to put up with so much as well. So many impatient developers who are just like, oh, this thing's broken. Oh, why aren't you fixing this? And oh, these people are giving up their free time and their their energy to to make this thing happen. Um, they're not on they're not on anybody else's schedule. 
Um, and I think you often, I often see on Twitter people who've reached that kind of breaking point and they finally like, oh my God, I've got to shout and swear about this because it's so awful. And they'll post some screenshots of just the awful things that like a developer who wants something seems to be just the worst person in the world. <laughs> and <laughs> they have yeah, no so, shame, some people. So a big shout out to all maintainers out there who are putting up with a lot of rubbish um, so if you can, when you're getting involved in open source, if you can be as kind and respectful as possible to the people you work with, and I think that's just a good thing for life yeah, in general, isn't it? That but, that's, but, yeah. but especially <laughs> but in this particularly case. in this in this field where everyone involved is contrib- is doing it out of the goodness of their own heart, um, make the world a better place in small steps by <laughs> just be nice <laughs> and and yeah, accept that people are time time is a pressure for everybody. People want to get things done. Um, and, and I guess along with that comes don't expect a response straight away or something. You can, it might take them, it might take people quite a while to get around to it. Oh yeah, there's no obligation on either side in this yeah. scenario. Um, Lovely. So yeah, <laughs> have confidence. Just be aware of the pressure on people's time and be nice. I think that's a really good place to end. <laughs> yeah, that works. Be that. nice. That works nice. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Make sure to check us out on at AQO Code and send us any questions that you have. Yep, thanks for listening. And be sure to visit aqoc.dev to see all the full show notes for this episode and all our others, our full archive. Um, And follow us on Twitter and do all the things. So now go out, get find an open source repo and get involved. That's our call to action. Have a good week. I'll second (laughs) that. Have a great week and we'll see you next time. Yeah, bye. Bye.